Section twenty five of Rudder Grange. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Rudder Grange by Frank R. Stockton. Chapter thirteen. Pomona's Novel. Part one. It was in the latter part of August of that year that it became necessary for some one in the office in which I was engaged to go to St. Louis to attend to some important business. Everything seemed to point to me as the fit person, for I understood the particular business better than any one else. I felt that I ought to go, but I did not altogether like to do it. I went home, and Euphemia and I talked over the matter far into the regulation sleeping hours. There were very good reasons why we should go, for of course I would not think of taking such a journey without Euphemia. In the first place, it would be of advantage to me, in my business connection, to take the trip. And then it would be such a charming journey for us. We had never been west of the Alleghanies, and nearly all the country we would see would be new to us. We would come home by the Great Lakes and Niagara, and the prospect was delightful to both of us. But then we would have to leave Rudder Grange for at least three weeks, and how could we do that? This was indeed a difficult question to answer. Who could take care of our garden, our poultry, our horse and cow, and all their complicated belongings? The garden was in admirable condition. Our vegetables were coming in every day in just that fresh and satisfactory condition, altogether unknown to people who buy vegetables, for which I had labored so faithfully, and about which I had so many cheerful anticipations. As to Euphemia's chicken yard, with Euphemia away, the subject was too great for us. We did not even discuss it. But we would give up all the pleasures of our home for the chance of this most desirable excursion if we could but think of some one who would come and take care of the place while we were gone. Rudder Grange could not run itself for three weeks. We thought of every available person. Old John would not do. We did not feel that we could trust him. We thought of several of our friends, but there was, in both our minds, a certain shrinking from the idea of handing over the place to any of them for such a length of time. For my part, I said, I would rather leave Pomona in charge than any one else. But then Pomona was young and a girl. Euphemia agreed with me that she would rather trust her than any one else, but she also agreed in regard to the disqualifications. So, when I went to the office the next morning, we had fully determined to go on the trip, if we could find some one to take charge of our place while we were gone. When I returned from the office in the afternoon, I had agreed to go to St. Louis. By this time I had no choice in the matter, unless I wished to interfere very much with my own interests. We were to start in two days. If in that time we could get any one to stay at the place very well, if not, Pomona must assume the charge. We were not able to get any one, and Pomona did assume the charge. It is surprising how greatly relieved we felt when we were obliged to come to this conclusion. The arrangement was exactly what we wanted, and now that there was no help for it, our consciences were easy. We felt that there would be no danger to Pomona. Lord Edward would be with her, and she was a young person who was extraordinarily well able to take care of herself. Old John would be within call in case she needed him, and I borrowed a bulldog to be kept in the house at night. Pomona herself was more than satisfied with the plan. We made out, the night before we left, a long and minute series of directions for her guidance in household, garden, and farm matters, and directed her to keep a careful record of everything noteworthy that might occur. She was fully supplied with all the necessities of life, 
and it has seldom happened that a young girl has been left in such a responsible and independent position as that in which we left Pomona. She was very proud of it. Our journey was ten times more delightful than we had expected it would be, and successful in every way. And yet, although we enjoyed every hour of the trip, we were no sooner fairly on our way home than we became so wildly anxious to get there that we reached Rudder Grange on Wednesday, whereas we had written that we would be home on Thursday. We arrived early in the afternoon and walked up from the station, leaving our baggage to be sent in the express wagon. As we approached our dear home, we wanted to run, we were so eager to see it. There it was, the same as ever. I lifted the latch gate, the gate was locked. We ran to the carriage gate, that was locked too. Just then I noticed a placard on the fence. It was not printed, but the lettering was large, apparently made with ink and a brush. It read, To be sold for taxes. We stood and looked at each other. Euphemia turned pale. What does this mean? said I. Has our landlord— I could say no more. The dreadful thought arose that the place might pass away from us. We were not yet ready to buy it. But I did not put the thought in words. There was a field next to our lot, and I got over the fence and helped Euphemia over. Then we climbed our side fence. This was more difficult, but we accomplished it without thinking much about its difficulties. Our hearts were too full of painful apprehensions. I hurried to the front door. It was locked. All the lower windows were shut. We went around to the kitchen. What surprised us more than anything was the absence of Lord Edward. Had he been sold? Before we reached the back part of the house, Euphemia said she felt faint and must sit down. I led her to a tree nearby, under which I had made a rustic chair. The chair was gone. She sat on the grass, and I ran to the pump for some water. I looked for the bright tin dipper which always hung by the pump. It was not there. But I had a traveling cup in my pocket, and as I was taking it out I looked around me. There was an air of bareness over everything. I did not know what it all meant, but I knew that my hand trembled as I took hold of the pump handle and began to pump. At the first sound of the pump handle I heard a deep bark in the direction of the barn, and then furiously around the corner came Lord Edward. Before I had filled up the cup he was bounding about me. I believe the glad welcome of the dog did more to revive Euphemia than the water. He was delighted to see us, and in a moment up came Pomona running from the barn. Her face was radiant, too. We felt relieved. Here were two friends who looked as if they were neither sold nor ruined. Pomona quickly saw that we were ill at ease, and before I could put a question to her she divined the cause. Her countenance fell. "'You know,' said she, "'you said you wasn't coming till to-morrow. If you only had come then, I was going to have everything just exactly right, and now you had to climb in, and the poor girl looked as if she might cry, which would have been a wonderful thing for Pomona to do.' "'Tell me one thing,' said I. "'What about those taxes?' "'Oh, that's all right,' she cried. "'Don't think another minute about that. I'll tell you all about it soon. But come in first, and I'll get you some lunch in a minute.' We were somewhat relieved by Pomona's statement that it was all right in regard to the tax-poster, but we were very anxious to know all about the matter. Pomona, however, gave us little chance to ask her any questions. As soon as she had made ready our lunch, she asked us, as a particular favor, to give her three-quarters of an hour to herself, and then, said she, I'll have everything looking just as if it was to-morrow. We respected her feelings, for of course it was a great disappointment to her to be taken thus unawares, 
and we remained in the dining-room until she appeared, and announced that she was ready for us to go about. We availed ourselves quickly of the privilege, and Euphemia hurried to the chicken-yard, while I bent my steps toward the garden and barn. As I went out I noticed that the rustic chair was in its place, and passing the pump I looked for the dipper. It was there. I asked Pomona about the chair, but she did not answer as quickly as was her habit. "'Would you rather,' said she, "'hear it all together, when you come in, or have it in little bits, head and tail, all of a jumble?' I called to Euphemia and asked her what she thought, and she was so anxious to get to her chickens that she said she would much rather wait and hear it all together. We found everything in perfect order. The garden was even free from weeds, a thing I had not expected. If it had not been for that cloud on the front fence, I should have been happy enough. Pomona had said it was all right, but she could not have paid the taxes. However, I would wait, and I went to the barn. When Euphemia came in from the poultry-yard, she called me and said she was in a hurry to hear Pomona's account of things. So I went in, and we sat on the side-porch, where it was shady, while Pomona, producing some sheets of foolscap paper, took her seat on the upper step. "'I wrote down the things of any account what happened,' said she, "'as you told me to, and while I was about it I thought I'd make it like a novel. It would be just as true, and perhaps more amusin'. I suppose you don't mind?' No, we didn't mind, so she went on. I haven't got no name for my novel. I intended to think one out to-night. I wrote this all of nights, and I don't read the first chapters, for they tell about my birth and my parentage and my early adventures. I'll just come down to what happened to me while you was away, because you'll be more anxious to hear about that. All that's written here is true, just the same as if I told it to you, but I've put it into novel language because it seems to come easier to me." and then, in a voice somewhat different from her ordinary tones, as if the novel language demanded it, she began to read. CHAPTER V. THE LONELY HOUSE AND THE FAITHFUL FRIEND. THUS WAS I LEFT ALONE. NONE BUT TWO DOGS TO KEEP ME COMPANY. I MILKED THE LOWING KIND, AND WATERED AND FED THE STEED, AND THEN, AFTER MY FRUGAL REPAST, I CLOSED THE MANSION, SHUTTING OUT ALL THE RECOLLECTIONS OF THE PAST, and also foresights into the future. That night was a memorable one. I slept soundly until the break of morn, but had the events transpired which afterward occurred, what would have happened to me no tongue can tell. Early the next day nothing happened. Soon after breakfast the venerable John came to borrow some kerosene oil and half a pound of sugar, but his attempt was foiled. I knew too well the insidious foe. In the very outset of his villainy I sent him home with an empty can. For two long days I wandered among the verdant pathways of the garden and to the barn, whenever and anon my duty called me, nor did I e'er neglect the fallery. No cloud o'erspread this happy period of my life. But the cloud was rising in the horizon, although I saw it not. It was about twenty-five minutes after eleven, on the morning of a Thursday, that I sat pondering in my mind the question what to do with the butter and the vegetables. Here was butter, and here was green corn and lima beans and trophy tomats, far more than air could use. 
and here was a horse idly cropping the foliage in the field, for as my employer had advised and ordered I had put the steed to grass. And here was a wagon, none too new, which had it the top taken off, or even the curtains rolled up, would do for a licensed vendor. With the truck and butter, and mayhap some milk, I could load that wagon. Oh, Pomona, interrupted Euphemia, you don't mean to say that you were thinking of doing anything like that. Well, I was just beginning to think of it, said Pomona, but of course I couldn't have gone away and left the house, and you'll see I didn't do it. And then she continued her novel. But while my thoughts were thus employed, I heard Lord Edward burst into Barter. At this Euphemia and I could not help bursting into laughter. Pomona did not seem at all confused, but went on with her reading. I hurried to the door, and looking out I saw a wagon at the gate. Repairing there I saw a man. Said he, Wilt open this gate? I had fastened up the gates, and removed every stealable article from the yard. Euphemia and I looked at each other. This explained the absence of the rustic seat and the dipper. Thus, with my mind at ease, I could let my faithful friend, the dog, for he it was, roam with me through the grounds, while the fierce bulldog guarded the mansion within. Then said I, quite bold, unto him, no, I let no man here. My employer and employeress are now from home. What do you want? Then, says he, as bold as brass, I've come to put the lightning rods upon the house. Open the gate. What rods, says I? The rods as was ordered, says he. Open the gate. I stood and gazed at him. Full well I saw through his pinchbeck mask. I knew his tricks. In the absence of my employer, he would put up rods, and ever so many more than was wanted, and likely, too, some miserable trash that would attract the lightning, instead of keeping it off. Then, as it would spoil the house to take them down, they would be kept, and pay demanded. No, sir, says I, no lightning rods upon this house whilst I stand here. And with that I walked away, and let Lord Edward loose. The man he stormed with passion, his eyes flashed fire. He would e'en have scaled the gate, but when he saw the dog he did forbear. As it was then near noon, I strode away to feed the fowls, but when I did return, I saw a sight which froze the blood within my veins. "'The dog didn't kill him!' cried Euphemia. "'Oh, no, ma'am,' said Pomona. "'You'll see that wasn't it.' At one corner of the lot in front, a base boy who had accompanied this man was banging on the fence with a long stick, 
and thus attracting to himself the rage of Lord Edward, while the vile intriguer of a lightning-rodder had brought a ladder to the other side of the house, up which he had now ascended, and was on the roof. What horrors filled my soul! How my form trembled! This, continued Pomona, is the end of the novel, and she laid her foolscap pages upon the porch. End of section 25